welcome to episode number nine of The Gospel for Everyone. In this episode, we're going to hear the second part of a message we began last time about why following your heart may be one of the greatest lies Satan wants us to believe. If you didn't hear last time's episode, want to go back and and check that out before you listen to this one. This episode will make a lot more sense if you do that. But really what happened was recently Jason has spoken at a a church in Birmingham and he shared a message and we thought it would be a great two-part episode for our podcast. So here's Jason with the second of a two-part message called Stop Following Your Heart. So in our last episode, we talked about how the world would answer the question, what is the good life? How is the good life found? And one of the ways, one of the really popular ways that the world seeks to answer that question is by saying that the good life is found by following your heart. We refer to that as the gospel of Hollywood, the gospel of Disney, the gospel of Oprah. But as we tried to point out last time, that is not the good news about Jesus. What the scriptures have to say is that the heart is actually a faulty GPS, that it is deceptive, that at times it can be full of evil. And as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, even leading us to madness. So based on what we said last time, it's evident that the Bible does not endorse this idea of following your heart So then that begs the question, okay, where does that leave us? Thankfully, there are some things we can say about this. For starters, we do have this truth that morality doesn't come from within. It comes from without. What I mean by that is, according to this follow your heart mentality, Morality and truth are found by looking to some interior level. Again, the idea there is that if you just look inside and listen to your feelings and listen to your heart, you'll land in a place of moral correctness. You'll land in a place of truth. That that will never lead you astray because of this belief that human beings are essentially good and that if you feel something, it can't be wrong. But according to God's word, we can't always determine what's good or bad on our own. There are plenty of times where we just don't know what's best for us. If you've ever spent time around a child, whether it's your own or a grandchild or just a a neighbor's kid, you know, even from your own childhood, there are so many times where we think we want one thing, we might even feel it really strongly, and yet deep down, it's not in our best interest. So we can't determine what's good and bad, what's right and wrong on our own. We need outside help for this. But the really good news is that we do have this basis for moral knowledge God hasn't left us high and dry. He hasn't abandoned us. We have a basis for moral knowledge. It comes from God, and it comes from his word. As Simon Peter says, he has given us everything we need as it pertains to life and godliness. So we have this basis for determining what's right and what's wrong in the world. So the biblical counter to all of this is to say that instead of following your heart, 
what you need, what I need, is to have a heart that has been renewed. Instead of looking to some sort of you know interior GPS, what I need and what you need, what we all need, is outside help. We need external help. We need the revelation of one who is outside of, of ourselves to reveal to us truth and morality. And thankfully, through his word, God has done this. And most importantly, through the sending of his son, he has done this. And so what we're getting at here with the the gospel according to Jesus Christ, it's not a follow-your-heart gospel, but it's a gospel about receiving a new and transformed heart. We looked at several passages last time. I just want to focus in on one today. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27. God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a great passage that focuses on God's work of renewal, God's work of redemption. So he starts here with an external act of purification. That's this act of the the sprinkling of water that he refers to early in that text. And then as you read what happens, that external act of purification then leads to an inner transformation. And that's that's the working there of God. Uh, we, we live in a culture that says, no, you, you go internal first, you find out you know, who you are, find out what your true north is, find out what your inner GPS says that you are, and then you bring that out into the outer world and you live that on the, on the outside. Well, here, God is kind of reversing that. He's saying, here's this process, okay? You're going to go through this process of purification, that's what that sprinkling clean water deal is is all about, okay? So we know from reading the New Testament that this external act of purification in the New Covenant, it's baptism. So sometimes that line about sprinkling can cause all sorts of debate and everything. We, we shouldn't let that lead us astray. That is actually a reference to Numbers chapter 19 back in the Law of Moses. And if you go to Numbers 19, you read about what God says needs to happen to the person who touches a dead body. All sorts of rules like this you find in, in God's Word. He says in Numbers 19, okay, here's what must happen to, to one who has touched a dead body. They have to be ritually cleansed by having this, this water of impurity sprinkled on them. So essentially what God is saying here through Ezekiel to the people of his day and to us, is that through the worship of idols, we've been similarly defiled. It's, it's similar to touching a dead body. So Ezekiel is preaching to these people who find themselves in exile. They're a long way away from the promised land. And they're looking around and they might be saying, how did we get here? You know, Has God abandoned us? But God is saying, no, no, here's my plan for you. 
Uh, even though you've been defiled by by worshiping these these false gods, we might say in our vernacular for this, you've you've been led astray by these false worldviews, okay? And by doing so, you're ritually impure. It's like touching a dead body, okay? But don't worry, I've got you. You're going to be purified here, God says. I will sprinkle this clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So it's possible for us to even repent of this idol that our culture puts in front of us, of following our hearts and all of that silliness. We can be cleansed of that. We can have our minds renewed, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. And so this outer act of purification that God promises for the people of Israel, it actually, it actually leads God to promise three things to his people as it relates to renewal. It's a new heart that he promises, it's a new spirit, and then ultimately a new life. God promises a new heart. He speaks of this, this heart of flesh that replaces the heart of stone. You think about it, a heart of stone is lifeless. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty worthless. You, know, you think about, about the heart that we've already talked about in this episode and, and in the previous one, the heart that is deceptive, the one that is evil, left to our own devices. That's the kind of heart that we have. That's the kind of decisions we'll make. We will always choose the wrong thing. We'll choose sin. We'll choose that which is not best for us. And so God says, look, I'm going to replace that. Let's call that the old heart, the heart of stone. I'm going to replace that. And instead, I'm going to give you a new heart. Have you ever, have you ever been tempted to do something that, that maybe, maybe earlier in your walk with Christ, it, 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 or maybe even before you came to know Jesus, that temptation would have been really difficult for you to turn down? You know, it would have been something that would have been so hard for you to pass up because, because you'd been down that road before, you knew what, what that was like, and so there was this allure to that, that action. But as you walk with Christ, have you found yourself experiencing this, this thing where you, know, you don't even have the desire anymore to go back to that old way of life? Have you, have you experienced that where you realize, okay, well, the psalmist was telling the truth in Psalm 34 when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. His way is better. That's, that's receiving this new heart that God promises through the prophet Ezekiel. When we realize that that old way of life was doing nothing but leading us to, to death, it was, we, we, we were in the stockade. You know, we, we were in chains when we were living that way. Why would we go back to that? That's experiencing the new heart that God seeks to give that he speaks of here in Ezekiel. So in addition to that new heart, God makes this promise as well. He promises a new spirit. So it seems as if by using the, the language of heart and spirit in tandem, God is referring to a person's whole being. It's this idea that, that we become new people through the renewal that God brings about. God says he will give us a new spirit by putting his spirit within us. That's one of the reasons that I'm such a firm believer in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. 
I talk about that a lot in in different messages, and and I know some people have differences of opinion on some of that. Just just sharing my beliefs with you, though, I really believe that the indwelling power of God's Spirit, it is that transformative agent in our lives. According to God's Word, the Spirit alive in us bears fruit in keeping with the character of Christ. As you read about there in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of those things that are listed there. And so the result of all of this, this new heart and this new spirit, is that we would then be empowered to live new lives. This is what God refers to in the last line that we read there from Ezekiel. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now that is something that is truly countercultural. Just think about it again. Okay, so the world tells us that the key to the good life is following your heart and you don't let any external source tell you how to live, you know. But God's word actually comes along and says the the key to the good life is not found through following your heart, but it's found in receiving this new heart, a heart that is made new by God. And along those same lines, not only does God give a new heart, but his means for giving you that new heart, his means for transforming you and making your heart beat more like his heart is the power of the Holy Spirit alive in your life. So when we come to Christ in baptism, not only do we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternity, but we receive the promise of the Spirit dwelling within us in the present to start that work of transformation. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience the transformative power of God. The idea here is that he is alive in you now to this very day. You know, we should look more and more like Christ every day that we're walking with him. And if we're not, then I would say something in our lives is quenching the power of the spirit. The, The problem is not in the power of the spirit. The problem there would be in me quenching the work of the spirit. And then he says, when when those two things come together, when you receive the new heart through the power of the new spirit alive within you, then you'll live a new life, a life that is focused on, of all things, obedience to God. Obedience is one of the most reviled words in our culture today. Nobody is going to say to you that the key to the good life is found in living in obedience to King Jesus. Like nobody is going to say that to you because it is so countercultural. We live in a time where we say, forget obedience. You know, the key to the good life is throwing off all shackles. You know, don't obey anything but your own animalistic impulses. Just look inside and whatever you find there, go for it, man. That's the what that's the message of our world. But that is a false gospel. According to the gospel of Jesus, there is peace that comes when we receive a new heart and a new spirit that leads us to walk in obedience to our Lord, walking in in accordance with the way that he created us in the beginning. You know, that is the good life. True life is found in submitting our deceptive hearts, submitting those hearts to God, in order to receive a new heart 
from him. Don't let the gospel of Hollywood and Disney and Oprah obscure us from the life-changing truth that is found here. Real life, the good life, the abundant life, as Jesus says, is found only in him, the one who can give us a new heart. I hope that message is a blessing to you or to someone in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, thanks for joining us on this two-part episode of the Gospel for Everyone. I hope you understand that God wants you to have a new and transformed heart. And it makes sense uh, that he wants you to stop following this heart that has been twisted by the world. As Jason said in this episode, true life is found in submitting our deceptive hearts to God in order to receive a new heart from him. Don't ever forget that message. Thanks for joining us for this two-part episode. We'll catch you next time.